welcome to the Dental Deep Dive, where we dive into industry trends and best practices for optimizing your dental organization while providing the best possible experience and care for patients. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Dental Deep Dive. I'm your host, David Danielson, and today I'm joined by Vincent Cardillo. Finn comes to us with over 17 years of experience leading and partnering with some of the largest and most efficient dental practice organizations in the world. Finn has helped organizations not only create and execute strategic visions, but also identify the key driving metrics that will lead them to success. He's consulted with a variety of companies, both nationally and internationally, providing expertise on both operations, strategy, and financing. Let's dive in. We'd like to welcome Vincent Cardillo to the show. Welcome, Vin. Hey, David. Great to uh, be on today. Thanks for uh, having me. We're so glad you could make it. I know your schedule is incredibly busy and really appreciate you carving out some time for us. Yeah, for sure, man. Hey, so before we really get down and dirty on on what's going on here, why don't you tell us a little bit about the work you're doing for Mava and what's been going on for you? Yeah, so we at Mava, we're we're really um, we're we're like an outsourced C-suite, if you would. So we're a fractionalized COO, a fractionalized uh, HR, fractionalized CFO, and we help support smaller groups that are looking to grow, um, but are not in a position to be able to pay for full-time CEO, CFO, COO, HR person. And it just happens in the business. As you grow, as we know, even with one dental office, you have all these departments. You've got accounting, you've got marketing, you've got uh, operations, Uh, but it really comes to life when you start to, to get to two and three and four and you're like, okay, you know, what do I do here? Who do I hire first? And I really don't have the cash to, if I put the money to that person, I can't buy another dental office. So it's a real juggling act. So, so we really are able to add value for that fractionalized cost. And also we've already made all the mistakes. <laughs> we've done them all. And, and hopefully our clients are able to take advantage uh, of not making mistakes, I think, which is very, very valuable. Because, you know, in dentistry, one mistake is 100000 it could be, or, or more. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's one of those things where there's something to say about having uh, those lumps from those mistakes along the way. I've made them. I know you've had a couple here and there. But I think it's really valuable to kind of look at that ecosystem and realize, hey, it's better to jump in with 10 or 15 years of those things in the past than to start off from scratch trying to figure it all out. So. Yeah, yeah, that's totally true. And I mean, we we've got you know, we get clients that are real proactive and start when they've got one office, knowing that they want to grow more. And those are typically the most successful because we're working with a clean slate. And then there's the others that have already made some decisions that are problematic. And you know, when we get in there, it's kind of a complete mess that we have to spend months just to untangle to create the clean slate. Yeah. So how did you get into this? I mean, this is one of those things I think is really interesting because it's like, how does somebody find themselves in the situation where you're like, I'm going to be a fractional chief executive officer for a dental practice? I mean, how did you fall into that? Well, you know, way, way, way back in the 90s, um, I decided to open a dental office uh, and create a DSO after completing my MBA. 
So I ended up having uh, six locations in my 20s. And uh, that was getting a little crazy for me back then. Had I known what I've known today, you know, I'd be in a different situation. So, so that led me to, to sell it. And I sold it to uh, a group. And I worked with that group for three years as part of the transition. And that group was 40 some odd locations. And after three years, we were about 70 some odd locations. And um, then I took some time off after that contract and said I would never get into dentistry again. <laughs> and here we are. And here we are. So then after that, a couple of uh, colleagues of mine who are dentists that had sold their practices right around the same time I did were looking to get, they were back in the game and, the, and we had connected and they were looking to do some pretty substantial growth and you know wanted someone that knew operations pretty well. So I moved to Florida and um, that was 2011. Uh, we started with three offices and in, in 28 months, we had 31 offices and we sold it to a private equity firm. It's funny how life kind of takes us around <laughs> different ways to get to where we're at. So one of the things that I know people are going to say, they're going to say, hey, if you had Vin Cardillo on the call, what would you ask him first? And I'm like, okay, where are people falling down on metrics? Because I know you're an operations guy. I know that that's where people are going to want to know. Like, if you were to start from ground zero, what are they not measuring that should? What are they tracking that is probably not critical? If you were to jump in, what advice would you give them? So, so we, you know, we're, we're always looking at what the owner doctor's goals are, three to five year goals. And, and we build out, a, you know, a customized blueprint based on where they want to be in the next three to five years. And, and, you know, as part of the first part of the blueprint is to make sure that they have their mission purpose and values in place, because those values will become very important. Uh, as part of the metrics. And we, we break the metrics down into three pieces. There are business metrics, operational metrics, and clinical metrics. Your business metrics are your P&L numbers, right? You know, we, we condense um, our P&Ls to 14 to 15, 16 line items. So it's manageable. Um, if you were to ask the average dentist to pull out a P&L, there's probably 80 line items. And in 80 line items, you probably have 50 of them that are less than 1% of an expense. So you really can't make any sense of it. So by consolidating them into the 13 or 14 or 15, you now have uh, percentages that you can find industry-wide and you can compare those percentages. So so when we talk about business, we're talking about the P&L metrics that are consolidated where you can see, okay, how much are we spending on supplies? How much are we spending on lab? How much are we spending on dental assistance, uh, hygiene, right? Whatever those. So that's the first. And then the next is your your balance sheet ones. And those are important for, um, you know, debt covenants that a bank might have you know, on you with, with with your debts with them. It's good to know that you're in line and you're not over levered and they're going to call you up and say, hey, look, you, you, you know, we're calling the note. So that's the business ones. Then the operation ones and consulting ones, operations, that's more like 
treatment plan acceptance, production per hour, production per visit, number of new patients, um, AR percentages. And then the third is your clinical. And the clinical might be, okay, on the GP side, what percent of revenue is doctor revenue versus hygiene revenue? Um, what percentage of the hygiene procedures are perio? Because perio is very important. Um, you may have an x-ray policy and you want to track that x-ray policy. So you'll have a metric around, you know, of the new patients, how many did we take in FMX and a panon? You might have a, a, a x-ray policy that says, hey, look, it, we want to take a panorex and an FMX and every new patient. Well, saying it is one thing, but measuring it is another. And when you measure, actually it creates accountability and, and things happen, right? So, however, you know, in today's market, you have all these companies that have these dashboard come, you know, dashboards out there. And the dashboards um, are tons of great information, but you can't look at every single metric under the sun because you, you'll go crazy. So that's where your core values come into play. If your core values say, hey, look, you know, we want to provide the you know, best patient experience. All right, well, we need to be making sure every day, week, month, we're looking at Google reviews, whatever reviews under the sun, and we're probably doing our own internal reviews or our NPS scores and really working on that. So, so that's where we see the core values coming into play. Any of your core values, you should be tracking them. They should be a metric. It's interesting because people say one thing and then they're not measuring it. So then how do you know if you're making progress? Are you becoming that cultural white glove experience that you want to be? Or are you becoming that lean and mean, efficient machine? Those things, have, they have different value to, to practices. And so I think there's... I think you're spot on. I mean, if you're not tracking the right things, you're obviously not going to get the right outcomes. Yeah. And, and you know, it, then it creates the next, it alleviates another problem that dentists have, which is holding people accountable, right? So if, if you identify two metrics by position, that's plenty. And you say, hey guys, you know what? Right now our treatment acceptance is, 52%, our goal is to get to 75, and we're going to review it every day, week, month. That review process becomes the training piece, and now you've, you've given them the goal of 75%. So in essence, they know if they hit 75%, they're doing their job. And too many times, people in dental offices, uh, the employees just don't know where they stand because management doesn't spend time with them to let them know if they're doing a good job or not. And just by having metrics and a goal, whether you spend the time with the person and let them know they're doing a good job, at least they can be self-fulfilled and say, well, you know what? I reached my goal. Yeah. Do you find that the organizations you walk into, are they setting realistic goals? I mean, is that really in their nature? Or do you find it's a little pie in the sky in some areas and a little low in others? Or, you know, what are you seeing that way? Yeah, I, I think I see more hodgepodge of, well, you know, we measure, but we really don't do it. And what happens is when the bank account is low, the doctor says, okay, let's go look at the metrics and see what's going on. And, 
and they start looking at it. So the biggest thing is there's not consistency around it. And when you don't have consistency around it, it completely, it breaks the whole value of the metric. So if you do have metrics, you got to be consistent with them because then you're telling your, your team, if you're not consistent, that it's really not that, that important. When they know that you're doing it weekly, monthly, all the time, and it's consistent, they know it's important to you. So they're going to make it important uh, for themselves. That's a really great point. From that operational perspective, I mean, are there any other pitfalls that you see practices that they really should be avoiding when they're tracking their metrics right now? Yeah. So, so it's consistency. It's not, it's starting out with few, few is better, right? Even start with one per position because it actually takes a lot of work to track it. And then I also see that people don't really take the time to think of a way to track for like, for instance, for dental assistants, right? If you got a lot of dental assistants, one of the things is, hey, we got to get our dental systems trained. You know, the x-ray quality is not that great. Well, what is a good x-ray quality and how are we checking it? Well, if that's that important to you, what that's going to require is pulling 20 charts at the end of the month to do an evaluation with the scorecard at the areas that you're looking for to total the scorecard and grade it, Right. So the fact of going through that process, there's a big breakdown there. They're like, well, how are we going to track it? They don't, you're not thinking of ways to do it. And you have to track. You've got to. And it takes time. I find a lot of those things for the customers I talk to, they bump into some of those similar types of challenges. And what I've found is when they map out their workflows and they have really good end-of-day processes, Instead of trying to tackle maybe 20 reviews, they grab one from the day and lump it into their end of day workflow. And that kind of puts that on autopilot, getting that data kind of circulating. And so it's really interesting you brought up that example where it's like, we want something meaningful, we want something measurable, but actually putting it into your system. Now, whether you do it once a month and you grab 20 or you do it once a day and you grab one, I don't think that really matters. I think it's that consistency and having your plan that's gonna help people be successful. Yeah. And look, I mean, you bring up a great point, right? The technology becomes real important, right? If we, if we want to know, you know, how many patients left without an appointment, I mean, that's, that's a real good metric to have. Well, at the end of the day, we should include that report in our end of day reports, right? And hopefully your, the technology you have allows you to pull that data or, you know, it gets you close enough so you can pull something and compare it to the schedule, or you may have to go manually, whatever the technology should be able to help support these metrics. Yeah. I mean, great points, great points. So one of the things that was interesting as we were talking about your background, I was thinking about all the conversations that we've had over the years, because you and I keep bumping into each other, you know, and we ended up doing that six stages of growth ebook together. That was like right as I was coming into dentistry and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is like a Bible for me. And so obviously we'll put information in the show notes. People can go and find it. But can you briefly discuss why you put that together and why you did it in the way you did? Yeah. So it really all came about because I was asked to do a presentation at at a conference and I had some parameters around it. 
And I really couldn't come up with a good presentation. And then I just started, you know, thinking about uh, in my career, going through the, the, the growth from one location to over 40. And, and I just started breaking it down into particular buckets of the business. And I found that at certain periods, there were shifts that occurred, that, that the business needed to make these particular shifts to be successful, to, the, to get into that next, call it, stage of growth. And, and, you know, it's all based on the number of locations or revenue, right? It's somewhere around locations are important because you got people scattered around. So, Mm -hmm. so the human capital piece is important by location, but, you know, revenue also dictates that too, because you can have one location doing $10 million. You know, it's like 10 offices doing 10 million, but you know, the 10 offices is more work because you got to get out. You got to see all these places. You've got 10 rents. You got 10 people coming in to clean. You got 10 phone bills, right? And what we really saw was that stage two is two to three offices was really a critical, critical point. Uh, because in stage two up to three offices, you could still be a micromanager and run around to all the offices. And that's what we see a lot of is the one doctor being so important that if they don't go produce in the second office once a week, that office doesn't make money. They don't go to this third one. It doesn't make money. And they're working a million hours a week. They're gaining weight. They're getting divorced. Um, they're not going to the gym. Um, people leaving because all of these other departments are left to nobody. And really figuring that out early is important as the foundation. And that's where Mava can come in and create that for them, right? And, you know, obviously for us, technology is real important to get because we, we use a lot of metrics, um, but we manage them for them and with them and show which ones are important at what time. Um, and, you know, pulling data from, from Dentrix uh, and things of that nature is super important. Yeah. And it's interesting because when we take a step back and I see some of the challenges, you know, I see really pivotal times for practices when they move, like you said, from that two and three, like you've got to have a plan. <laughs> like you don't get past three, four or five without a plan. And it and it's really challenging. I see also some really big challenges with practices when they get into that nine and 10 range. Like that's a really hard range because operationally you're you're not running a small shop anymore, and there's some much higher levels of sophistication in what you should be managing and and what you should be evaluating. So it kind of brings that kind of into perspective for me because obviously I'm on I'm on the software product side, but I think realistically, you know, we we try and keep the show like product agnostic because it, the challenges don't really change based on your portfolio of software technology. But how you decide to address it does change with technology choices. One of the things that I was thinking about here is there are some really interesting evolutionary steps that people tackle. And, you know, I think that in the ebook, you did a great job helping us. I feel like we're more like the distribution of that information, right? We're more like we're pushing it out, help people know what's in there. Um, But one of the things that was interesting is 
it makes me ask the question, you know, what is it that practices most often miss tracking that they should? You know, if you're looking at that spread, I mean, in each stage, obviously, there's going to be different things. But generally speaking, if I had Vin Cardillo for 30 minutes for free consulting, you know, that's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to say, hey, what do people miss tracking and that they should be? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, again, I think you, you, you've you got to look at those three buckets of the business, the operations, and the clinical, right? Uh, you have to know your P&L. And people don't get a profit and loss statement every month. And everyone has an accountant. So you either have to get your accountant to give it to you every month, but more importantly, if they give it to you, they got to explain it to you. Or you have to have a bookkeeper have it for you and present it. You should get your, your, your books done by the 15th of the, of the next month, right? For, for your every 15th of the month, you should have your PL from the prior month. And you need to know where you stand. And it's real good if you could do it on an accrual basis, but that's, that's a little different. Accrual is, you know, when you're capturing the exact expense in that month. And the way you do it is just, you know, to put the order date, the invoice date for your expense. This way you can truly see that month what the dental supplies are. A lot of times people will, you know, not buy supplies or they would, they buy supplies this month and they buy supplies next month, but they don't pay shine uh, the first month and they pay it on the second month. And on a cash basis, accounting, you would see one month, uh, I had zero for for dental supplies expense. And then the next month, it's 10%. It's tough to run the business like that, right? You want to see what happened in that particular month. So I think knowing the P&L is real important and, and not many practices get it. And if they do get it, they're not clear on it. And you are paying for your accountant. So you, you should, you really, really should hold them accountable for that. And depending on your core values, if you have anything around quality of care, you should have some type of clinical metrics in there, which leads to having a chart audit, right? What is your expectation that the hygienist should be doing on every new patient exam? Uh, create a list of what they should be doing pull the charts, pull 10 charts per hygienist every month. And the answer to the question is yes or no, right? It's If it's no, it's zero. If it's yes, it's one. If it's 25 questions and you got 25 right, you're 25 out of 25, you scored 100. And when you do that, typically what's happens is month one is 76%, month two is 85%, and month three is 93%. Perfect. So any other advice that you'd give us on, I mean, we've talked about a lot of stuff today. <laughs> we've been all over the place. It's been great. So one of the things that's occurring to me right now is where should somebody get started? Like, how can they take what we've talked about today and build themselves a plan? I love the example you just gave around chart audits. If you're not doing chart audits, step one, make a list of things you want in your chart. Step two, check the boxes in your audits. I mean, it's 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 a matter of kind of getting started that way. But conceptually, what other advice would you give people for getting started? Um, you make a, a good point. The chart audit, right? It's you, all you're doing is a brain dump of everything that you do during your new patient exam. Write it all down, right? And, and, and that's just go through there. I think I think that 
there is value in the right advisors around you. Utilize them until you need them. Um, you know, I, I know everyone, you know, some people want to learn the hard way. And what I would say is um, I did it that way. And, and now I don't do it that way any longer. I, I pay for, for the people that have already been there. And I pay a lot for it. I, I use coaches and mentors a lot because I know the trials and tribulations and the money that I lost because I was kind of stern in my belief that I should be able to figure it out on my own, right? Uh, in my in my younger years, so I, I think to move through the process quicker is get the right people, get information from them, pay for it, and you're going to move quicker and you're going to advance quicker and you're going to save money in the end. I think that's important. And I think it's, you know, your team, you have to want to be growing yourself as a leader, as the clinician. And it's your job to let your team understand what is mediocre what is acceptable and what is great and train them and show them how to get to great and reward them um, for great. But more importantly, just acknowledge them for great, right? I mean, we get caught in the busyness of the day um, and people are working their butts off and they just need to be acknowledged, right? I mean, offices that have high turnover, it's just, it's people that don't have their crap together, right? And, and, and it's just not organized and we're not growing our people. And usually for not growing our people, we're not growing ourselves. It's really interesting you bring that up because in our previous episode, we were interviewing somebody who talked about how important it was for training people because it, it really fulfills them and it makes them more successful. And so it's funny that you really tacked that on to the end because I was like, wow, I think that was our ending point in the last episode as well. I mean, your, your people are your lifeblood. They're going to be what drives your success. And I think making sure that they're front and center in, in, your, in your plan, I think, is a, is a critical part of, of successful practices. Then this has been so great. Thank you so much for making time for us. Any parting words? One thing I always want to ask is, how do people get in touch with you? If they if they wanted to learn more about Mava, how do they find you? How do they get a hold of you? Yeah, you could text me at 413-433-2550, or you can send me an email at vin at mavaadvisory.com. Perfect. And we'll definitely have those details in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for participating. This has been absolutely fantastic. All right, Dave. I appreciate it. I appreciate everything Shine does. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Take care. We just had another fantastic podcast. So glad that Vincent Cardillo could join us today. I learned a lot. I hope you did too. One of the things I really highlighted here in my notes was this concept of making sure that we get the right goals aligned to our practices, visions. Internally, we use the term VMGOs, which is vision, mission, goals, and objectives. I think that for every practice, you're going to want to make sure that you have that implemented so that you can align and be successful against your plan. Thanks again for joining the Dental Deep Dive. We'll see you again next time. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Dentrix Enterprise, for sponsoring this episode of the Dental Deep Dive. 
Dentrix Enterprise is a complete dental practice management software designed specifically for multi-location and group practices, including DSOs. One of the things that we talked about in the episode today was really identifying the right set of metrics to measure, and Dentrix Enterprise has those insights for you. If you'd like to learn more about how Dentrix Enterprise can help you gain insights and visibility into the things you should be managing and tracking in your dental practice, reach out to them at dentrixenterprise.com forward slash dental deep dive. Thank you.